Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, we hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we are passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow. And I'm Dwayne Drawn. Through our 40 years of combined dirt under the nails experience, we look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. It's your host, Joshua Gill, alongside my trusty sidekick, Dwayne Drum. What's going on, Dwayne? Not much, man. Uh, just chilling like a villain, enjoying life. Uh, still traveling. Started flying again. I'm enjoying myself on that. Uh, just having a good time. I tried to go up this morning, but the the clouds were too low and visibility was too bad. So they wouldn't let me go flying. Yeah, I see the pictures posting. I see you out there playing again. I know it's been a couple of months, so I'm glad you're back and playing up there and and all that good stuff. You find the same plane over and over. Do you get different planes to fly? How does that look for you? There, Our school has six of the exact same airplanes. Okay. But because they're the exact same planes, they actually all have different characteristics mm-hmm. of each other. So just because they're the same doesn't mean you fly them all the same. So I try to fly one mainly. Yeah. Uh, it's November 261 Romeo Alpha is the one I normally, that's my baby. I normally fly that one. But every once in a while, I'll bounce to other, other ones. Nice. Nice. I love that. Too. I love it. I'm glad you're back up. as spring comes. Hopefully you can get a lot more in the summer and, and still stay up there and enjoy it, man. It's always great. Yeah. Sweet. Well, today, guys, we got our special guest back on the show here. Uh, it's springtime in the United States, and there's one thing that you guys need to know more than ever right now, and it's not, you know, how your trucks look. It's not kind of designs you're doing. It's your numbers. So we have the man himself, Wes Zimmerman, back from Synced Up. We're going to go deep on numbers today. We're going to talk about not just their importance. I think everybody knows how important numbers are, but You'd be surprised by how many people still run their businesses as if they put a blindfold on, got in their car, started the car and started driving. And I say that because I used to run a business that way. I used to live on hope and fingers crossed for a profit at the end of the year, not knowing what my numbers were, not knowing if I was going to make a profit. If somebody asked for a discount and I'd give them a discount that they would uh, they'd be happy. I'd sell the project and I wouldn't realize that I just completely screwed myself. And, you know, the thing I love about Synced Up is the fact that you see that up front. Now, when I let you know. I don't get paid a penny to say this. This is not about Wes and Dwayne and I coming together, trying to change the world by, you know, selling more seats for Wes. This is more about, I see, I've I've demoed the software. It's incredible. And I think that everybody should at least give it a vision because it's so freaking amazing. Because once you understand your numbers and you understand where you're going, your confidence rises by probably 5, 10x. And you know exactly what you're doing. You get a budget to start with and all of that. It's so powerful. So anyway, I'm not going to sit here and go on anymore. I'm going to let Wes do that. But uh, you guys today want to lock that information for you. So if you're driving blind like I used to, uh, maybe we can take that uh, that blindfold off and have you start to see some of those things and get the optics into your business so that when you're making decisions, you're making them with confidence. So Wes, that's probably the longest intro I've ever had. So welcome. Thanks, <laughs> welcome guys. back. It is good to be back, man. I was missing you after hanging out on all these trade shows all winter long. <laughs> yeah, how bad it did. It seemed like week after week we were somewhere in a country together, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, it felt like a circus. I felt like we were on a circus, you know? Yeah. Like a Ringling Brothers circus. You know, everybody knew everybody, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But, you know, so good. you said something that actually struck a chord. And that is that your confidence rises. And um, I think there's this kind of stigma where you feel like, hey, knowing your numbers is going to mean I'm going to turn into this weird spreadsheet guru slash accountant slash whatever. And it's not that at all. I mean, in fact, when you, you, you can do that, sure, you can go be a spreadsheet guru. But um, when you use a system like Synced Up, it's like, no, leave the algebra to us. Leave the pricing algorithm to us. You just plug in your information. It will spit back out to you your numbers and the confidence just goes through the roof. And at the end of the day, what we're doing at Synced Up is not really selling fancy buttons. We're selling confidence to people. And, uh, 
And I say that because I'm, I'm coming right off of a crazy winter season. I was just telling you before we started recording that I've been meeting with a bunch of our customers that come through our onboarding process. And some of these people for the very first time in their life have built a budget, which is basically a term for knowing how much you should mark up your costs to ensure that you cover all your expenses and your and generate a profit. And anyway, so, so they've come through this onboarding cycle for synced up. And for the very first time, they've built a budget with our help. And they start dialing in, they start creating estimates. And I just talked to a guy yesterday that's like, I never built uh, an estimate for more than a couple 10,000, right? 10, 20, 30,000 for uh, a job before in my life. He said, I just sent out a bid for 115,000 and I am, I, I am rock solid confident. That's the right number. And he says, I can only do that because of how these numbers are. I just put in my costs and it just tells me how much I need to charge to cover my overhead and generate a profit. And at the end of that, you know, that guy was just like on fire. He was confident. He was solid. And I, that's just one story. You know, there's others that then that translates into now I feel like I can invest in myself. I can invest in my business. I can hire people. I can pay my people better. I can, I now I'm uh, have the assurance that I'm making the money that I need to be making. So now I feel like I have the freedom to go let myself go a little bit and go spend time with my family. You know, those are the other side effects that come out of this really kind of when you drill down through all the layers, it all starts at knowing your numbers and having the confidence that you're charging the right prices for your jobs. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, man. I love it. And when you demoed it with me the other day, you know, it was just really powerful to see. And, you know, being in the design managed world now, I can see its value, but coming up from 15 years of being in design build. And thank goodness I had the the uh, the privilege of working with Vander Coy and multiple overhead recovery. That's what got us through 0708. I mean, yep. we squeaked by with maybe five grand and then a black, but most were going out of business. And we just squeaked by because we knew we could not discount a project any less than a certain amount. We knew exactly how much overhead we had to recover. We had a budget in place. Yep. Like these things sound scary. They sound scary to me back then to think about how am I going to come up with a budget? I don't even know what the hell I spend in a year. How am I supposed to forecast something in that? I don't even know how it works. Yeah. Right. So the cool part about the way you approach it and what I really appreciate is the fact that you start out with a budget. So even if you've never built a budget for a business business before, your team has West, you know, synced up has they've built hundreds and hundreds of budgets. So the cool part is you put all your stuff in as close as you can get it. And then all of a sudden it tells you, OK, on your equipment, on your subs, on your you know, on your materials, on your labor, how much you should be marking it up. And it gives you the number at the end. And, you know, one thing I thought was really cool about it was when your whole pricing is done for the project, you can go in and say, Mrs. Jones says, say the price, price came out to twenty one thousand six hundred eighty four dollars. And Mrs. Jones says, I'll give you 20 grand for that. And then you think, okay, what if I took that? You have the option to go in and change that and say, if I took 20 grand, how much my margin be at the end? Yep. And it's like 1%, yeah. right? And I'm sitting here <laughs> laughing and I'm like, how many of us used to do that? Be yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I'll just take a couple grand. No, it's only a couple thousand on 20. Yeah. No, no, no. That's that's a couple thousand or whatever, 1100, whatever it is here, um, off of your profit, which is a far smaller number than the 20,000. But we don't know that because when we start a business, we don't learn that. We get yep. our EIN, we're ready to be a taxpayer and that's all we get. Yeah. And we have to figure this thing called business out. So this makes it super simple. Your optics are super clear. And I don't know, dude, I love it. I think what you're doing is amazing. Yeah. And it's like, it's like what you're talking about there is exactly what we all do. Like when we don't know our numbers, AKA we're not confident and we come up to Mrs. Jones with a 20 some thousand dollar bid, you know, it's a lot of money. We kind of look at that number the same way we value a dollar for our own life or whatever. And when they push back on you and they want to negotiate with you, I'm not confident and I cave. I'm like, I only got three more weeks of work. I got to have this job. Sure. I'll do it for two grand less. And mm -hmm. what, yeah, like you said, you just stripped out all your profits. And usually you think, well, it's just two grand. Like I'll still make, I'll still make some and maybe you will, but it's, it's basically stripping out your ability to run a profitable business. You'll never grow. Um, yep. And on the flip side of that, you can stand there, cross your arms and be like, I'm sorry, Mrs. Jones, but that is what I have to have to do what you're asking for. I totally understand that you have a budget that you, that you only got so much money. Nobody is uh, limitless, but tell you what, um, if your number truly is 20 grand and not 22, um, I can make the patio a little bit smaller or I can um, use a cheaper paver. I know you really liked this high end one, but I can use a cheaper one over here. And suddenly you're negotiating with scope and you're not compromising your own ability to make a profit. 100%, 100%. Or the best one. You is know, uh, Wes, you just said something that's actually pretty powerful. I don't think you guys caught it. But you said you you take care of it as if you valued a dollar for yourself personally. Um, what I see is a lot of guys don't even value the dollar for themselves personally. 
Now, how do you get them to even understand that value? Well, you know, everybody has an own, has their own perspective and lens that they look at look at light at that uh, from. But for me, like I grew up here in central Pennsylvania, it's not really a welded. It's not a wealthy area. Um, mm-hmm. So to me, you know, making 70 to 100 grand on annual income is like that's that's good money where I'm from. Yeah. And if I'm selling a hundred twenty thousand dollar backyard, that guy's got to be making two two fifty you're, unless they saved for it for many, many years. Right. So, mm-hmm. and so what I'm saying is, is, and we typically will work for an order clientele that is at the peak of their career where we're just kind of in their first five, 10 years of our career, which means, you know, so what I'm saying is like, I look at the, the job, the number that I'm giving on the proposal to the customer. And I'm like, man, I could never spend that much money. And, and so you have that, that kind of lack of confidence that, you're putting your own association of a value of a dollar to it and you feel guilty for asking for what you know you need. And, or if you don't, and then the flip side is, is if you don't truly know that you need that amount, that's when you cave and nobody suffers, but you and your family and your team. That's that's actually the the point I was getting. A lot of guys don't even value the, the dollar to themselves. They just think they can work, 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 work. So the dollar, of their own money, like their own things that they enjoy in life doing, they're not even doing that. They're just, let's make money, pay the employees, pay the equipment, pay the bills, pay the mortgage, and they're not covering what they want in life. So how do, how do you get them to even change by looking at that? Like, you know I mean, you can do the synced up numbers, get everything right, but how are you getting them to look at the numbers for their life? Like, is that something you even you're paying attention yeah, to. So when we run into a company that, that isn't like, okay, so let's say we're, we're onboarding a, a guy that never really pulled his own salary. He just paid, like you said, he's pulled, paying his own bills, but never, never pulling a salary. We'll make him put a salary into the budget. I, I tell them whether you take the money out of the company or not is on you. I can't, and that's your decision to make, but we're not going to let you build a budget without that salary in there. Because if it's not in there, you're, it's not really a business and you're really ri- riding on a razor thin edge. And we don't want to let you, we don't want to allow you to go through our system where you're depending on us to tell you your numbers and let that happen. So we'll put it in the budget. The business will at least produce the funds. Whether you take the money out of the company is up to you. Yeah. That's an important piece because, you know, if, if you come up with a poor mindset in money and doesn't mean if you have, it doesn't matter if you have a lot of money or not, whether you live on the street or you lived in a mansion, but you have a poor mindset on money and you have a hard time even asking people for money. You know, if that's the thing you have, because just some kind of a guilt or some kind of a negative connotation toward money and you get out and you're like, you present your proposal and you're like, it's 20,000. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? You're like inviting <laughs> They're going to be like, with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, uh, yeah, well, he'll take less for this yeah, for sure. Exactly. But if you go out there and say, look, it's 20,000 to do this. When would you like us to start? And, you know, with the confidence, knowing my numbers are what they are, um, that's that. And if they complain, like you mentioned earlier, there's three ways to adjust budget. Yep. There's only three ways. It's either scope. It's either scale, scope, or sweat equity. They're the only three options you got. Yep. The number never changes because if it does, guys and girls out there listening, if you're like, yeah, I'll take 20 for it, that client just said, Phew. thank God, those guys would have taken me for that extra money. And you know, thank I God just read I asked. A, I, there's a, oh, I can't remember who it is. I, I came across, somebody shared him on Instagram. There's a guy that was saying, he was talking about this whole concept of contractors charging what they're worth. And he was saying like, if you, if you negotiate with them, if you cave on that price, Suddenly you've called into question your own integrity because it's yes, like, 100%. were they ripping me off? Like, yep. how could they take that? How could they just knock two grand off the top or 20 yep. grand or tank, whatever the number is. And then imagine in the future when you have extra come in and they're like, I want to add, I want to add, I want to add to this project. Next time they're like, yeah, that's 15,000 to add that. But what, what, how much we do it for cash? Or is it really 15,000? Is yeah. it more like 13? Yeah. You know, so yeah. you, you never, ever come off that number. Let's let's add to this, though. Okay, we have just really come off this non-negotiable society. Like, we were up until I want to say maybe the past three to five years ago, we're a nego- We were a negotiating society. Where the only reason why we're not negotiating now is because people are actually scared to. They're actually, I mean, as much as they want a better number, they're scared to ask or whatever. So, I mean, how do we make a broad stroke and say, hey, you know, you guys are dropping your integrity, but they could just be the old school negotiator. And just don't know what they're. That is possible. They could just be doing the the old school negotiating game, and 
their own, but the reason they're doing it then is because they don't truly know their own numbers. Because if they did know their own numbers, they would know, like I'm negotiating myself into it, into the point where it's costing me money to do this job. I'm not making anything. I may as well, may as well take the gifts of the lake if I'm going to spend money, Yep. you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. hundred percent, dude. hundred percent. But yeah, yeah. Cause I came out of the car business and everything was a negotiation. And now because there's not enough cars and we're dealing with whatever, you I mean, there's no negotiation. You just go there, whatever the price is on the sticker you sign, da, 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 whatever. And then I know both of us, we, all of us over here, our jobs are savvy business owners and we're going in to negotiate deals. I mean, Weston, I, I heard you negotiated several deals uh, during your process and what we were doing. I won't say any names of where it was, but I know you know, she negotiated thing. So, what you're saying is those people that we negotiated with, they didn't know their numbers. They don't have integrity for the business or that was just the sort of scenario that we were dealing with. Well, the, th- the whole integrity thing, you know, it's still something I'm processing in my own mind. It just really stuck with me when I read that. I was like, wow, I never thought about it that way. That by me negotiating, I am calling into question my own integrity because by me being willing to come down, it's suddenly saying, what, were you ripping me off earlier on the first price? Yeah. And, and so that's still kind of a, that's, I'm still playing with that thought in my head. I don't know that I have that one yeah. completely uh, fleshed out, but it, yeah, it was, okay. it really stuck with me when I read it. Yeah. And think back, you know, some of the, uh, you know, years ago, especially a lot of the immigrants coming into the country, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's part of their nature. You know, my wife's from Germany. They just have a different way of doing things. You go to foreign countries, they just, everything is negotiable. Like yeah. the price is a suggestion, you know? So yeah. you can't blame, you can't blame people that's their first generation in the U S they come here like, no, here's the price. Well, that's not how it works in my country. We yeah. were raised differently, right? So you have yeah. to be mindful of those things. And if you run into that situation, you know, I'm not suggesting this, but it doesn't hurt if you're going to do that to make sure your numbers are a little higher. So you have a little flexibility, right? But at the same time, yeah, that, that's make sure you're not too, yourself. Like, I think this can vary a bit from industry to industry. And what I'm talking about is through the lens of the contracting construction type industry. Correct. Because Correct. like when yep. you go into Kohl's and you buy a jacket, that thing's probably marked up to 300% from the real cost of manufacturing that thing. And so Mm -hmm. that's why you walk in and there's 75% flash sales on the thing, you know? And so our, our consumer society is trained to negotiate the the sale, the whatever. But when, what, what is a little bit different about home building, outdoor living spaces, the kind of things we do is the costs are, the cost of producing the work is extremely high. We don't have 50% margins on that net margins where yep. we can like knock 20% off. No big deal. Like yep. typically contractors, uh, we don't let people build a budget for less than 10% net profit. But if you look Good. at what people, the contractor industry, I'm going to, I'm just most familiar with the green industry, but the, the green industry contractors make like, it's, le- I would say the average is less than 10%. Yes. And so when 100%. you start negotiating from that point, then that's where the problem is. If you want to, if you are in a market that's incredible and you can make, you can, you're bidding your work at a 30 to 40% net margin and you want to knock 10% off, then, then you can, you, where your freedom to negotiate begins is from, okay, my costs are all covered. I'm generating the minimum amount of profit. Anything above that you have freedom to negotiate with. But most people are not even close to that in this industry, which is why we're saying, Hey, Put on the brakes before you start negotiating, get your numbers dialed in, get confident and crystal clear on your numbers. That will give you the confidence to, and tell you exactly when you could or could not negotiate. If, if that's, you know, in, in, in your, if your numbers are high enough to give you the ability to do so. Yeah. We will not negotiate on our numbers, but we do have a negotiation budget meeting where we start taking shit out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's the budget study side. Yeah. Like, once we plug our numbers in, those are the numbers. We're not yep. knocking off because the other company knocked something off. You know, call them up. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, I actually had a scenario today where I had a situation where I basically just told a homeowner, I didn't even, I didn't know you were having somebody else bid against his job. So you could just finish with them. It's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, you can, I said, you guys showed us what they did. And if you would think that we're even close to each other, you guys can finish off with them and, and we'll walk out. So I will, I guess you had the negotiable meeting. But we have the budget survey where everything is, there's so line items, everything. We'll just start pulling yeah. stuff out or make stuff smaller. Yeah, that's the right way to negotiate. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a soft yeah. number side. So you, you design and then the budget study, which is the next piece that shows them a soft range. And it's more of a, you know, a, a clarifying for them to see what it is and a bit of a qualifying as well to what their budget is. That there, if they say they want in or out, whatever, that their ranges of prices, that's just a soft touch. But when it comes down to the final proposal for the project, there's no moving off of that. That's what it is unless you move one of those three levers. That's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. But, um, you know, but that's that's the confidence you get by knowing your numbers. You know, there's there's uh, there's a lot there's a lot to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what are some of the struggles, uh, Wes, that you see that, you know, new companies are coming in like in there? What are some of the aha moments that they're having when they come in and start talking to you and start working through and plugging in their numbers and seeing things for the first time? What are some of the ahas you're seeing? You know, I think one of the biggest ahas that happen is people we, we have this preconceived idea like what you mean I'm going to pay a couple hundred bucks a month for a software where it's just an app on my phone with some buttons and stuff like and and the instant perception is that this is an additional like if I were to sign up for this software this is an additional expense that I need to dip into my pocket for to pay for that's the instant perception yeah. that's instantly how they perceive yeah. it but then I've just talked to a handful of people that also the same thing coming off the onboarding uh, cycle after they bit the bullet signed up and paid the money um and they were like man, like this is what I'm paying for. This is nothing. And by the way, it's built into my budget. It's not me paying for it. It's my customer paying for it. And, mm -hmm. and the return I'm getting is everything we were talking about, confidence, knowing your numbers, getting the right dollar amount for the right job. But that in turn leads to, um, the I, I can now pay my team better. I can now invest into my company. I now feel like I have the freedom to go spend time with my family, and I'm not uh, I'm not sabotaging myself. Um, mm -hmm. And like I've even I've even seen people. There was two brothers that signed up recently. The one really wanted it. The other one was a total skeptic. Like no, this is not this is ridiculous waste of money. And flipped them around to being a complete believer in it because it's like wow, like this is all the stuff that we used to fight and bicker about, you know, all the, you know, and now it's crystal clear and there's no, I mean, numbers don't lie. That's one thing that's cool about numbers. Like when you finally stand back after getting your numbers down, it's like this huge sense of relief because it's like, they don't lie. There's, there's no, there's no yeah. more arguing or no more. It's, it's just, it's, it's crystal clear. And so those aha, the aha moment I'm talking about is like where, the re the perception switches from this is buying a software is an expense to me that I'm sacrificing my own income for to know this is a tool that allows me to save tens of hours a month. It allows me to make more money because I'm not caving on job prices. And it, I'm actually now feel like I have the license and the freedom to go build the, the company I've always wanted to because I just got done putting a, a new machine into my budget. And now the prices I'm selling my jobs at are giving me the cash, the funds to go buy that machine I've always wanted to, but I always had this scarcity mindset to where I can't afford it. Yep. Now you just put it in your budget. If you're, as long as you can sell the work at those prices, you have the free, you have the cash, you have the freedom to go spend it on what you think you want to for your business. Yep. Yeah. Wes, when you sign contractors up and you start going through the whole process, what are you seeing? That's some of the greatest red flags that you're seeing. The, issues uh, that the biggest one is people underestimating what equipment really costs them. Like they don't understand like that hundred thousand dollar piece or $70,000 piece of equipment is depreciating every year. And that depreciation is a real expense to your business. And if it's not baked into your pricing, you're losing money. Yeah. Like usually that depreciation on the equipment, if you're a standard outdoor living space construction company, you have a mini X, you have a skid loader, you have some buggies, you have a dingo or an MT or whatever. Like the, you just take that standard outdoor living space construction company with in that stack of equipment right there and your trucks yet the depreciation, the, the depreciation amount coming off of that equipment is sometimes enough to wipe out the 10% profit they think they're making. Yeah. Every situation is slightly different, but, it, and so yeah. when they think they're making money, they're actually barely breaking even. Can you go a little deeper on the depreciation, what it is? Cause I'm sure some listeners have heard that from their, their accountants, but they're like, I don't know, it's some fucking ghost in the night. I don't know what the hell that thing is. Yeah, so can yeah. you go a little deeper on what it is actually? Yeah. So, okay. Using really simple numbers. If I have a $50,000 machine and let's say that I am planning to use that machine for eight years before it's going to be worn out enough that I need to replace it. Or let's just say 10 years to keep the numbers even so it's a little easier. $50,000 machine, 10 years life. And um, when I sell it, I am going to sell it for 10 grand. It's going to be worth 10 grand at the end of those 
10 years, okay? So there we got three numbers, 50 grand, 10 years, and 10,000 when I sell it. So we take the 50 grand, subtract what is what I'm gonna sell it for, the 10 grand, so I'm left with 40. During the life of that machine, I had $40,000, I lost $40,000 during the life of that machine in depreciation. But then I had it for 10 years, so I take that 40 divided by the 10 years, which is 4,000, so that machine is depreciating $4,000 a year, and that is an expense. Mm. And many contractors completely gloss over that, don't pay attention to it, don't even know what it means or know how to. And it's, I mean, I had someone had to show it to me. I didn't just like magically wake up one day and understand that. We all need to learn this stuff. But mm -hmm. um, if you, the reality is, is if you're not counting that into your pricing, like I said, very often the the equipment depreciation is enough, and in extreme cases, more than the amount of the profit they think they have baked into their pricing. And it wipes them out. It's a huge piece. Yeah. It's, like it, a, it's a significant tax piece. It's often yeah, it's yeah. often never bit as much as the whole owner doesn't have a salary in the budget thing. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the biggest issues with contractors. I mean, there's several kinds. Uh, Techo Block actually did an event where they they did like um uh sort of a bio of all the different contractors. You had a contractor want to show off his equipment, you had a contractor was happy to do the design work, you had a contractor who was um, happy to show off the jobs on social media. You had that. But one of the things I do see is contractors love to show their mm -hmm. equipment. So that has to be a huge, like you see all these new trucks popping up. You see all oh, these yeah. new machines, excavators, like, are they really accounting for what those costs and, and you got to add maintenance too. Yep. I mean, you got the depreciation of the machine, like mm -hmm. what does it cost to maintain it? Or what does it cost mm -hmm. to train somebody how to use it? And how much does it cost to even drag that sucker to the job site? You know what I mean? You need a trailer now. You got more fuel you're burning in the trucks. Like, are you, is, does that all that stuff get added into it too? Yeah, it has to, as it like, so the, the, what I just described is just the depreciation. Plus you got the maintenance, the operator, the fuel, all of that stuff to go along with it to, to come up to the point where you have an hourly rate for that machine. If that's how you're charging for it. Um, what, what we often do just because it's simpler and there's less ways to screw it up when you get to the estimating phase is we take the depreciation cost of that equipment and we put it right in as an overhead expense. It's a line item on your overhead section of your budget so that when you're, it's baked right into your overhead, which means that when I, what, let's say my cost for an hour of labor is 30 bucks, then I multiply that $30 an hour cost by my overhead recovery markup rate, which might be 120% to cover my cost of all my depreciation and overhead expenses. Then I, then, then I, that's my break even. Then I add my profit and then that's my price per hour. So it's like the, the, how you should price your work is, is three numbers. It's your, your hard cost. It's the overhead recovery markup rate. And then it's the profit. So it's cost plus overhead recovery plus profit equals your customer's price. Perfect. I love that. It's you know, one thing I also love that you guys capture and dude, in the beginning, I didn't even realize this was a thing. I always thought that with a business, you just made as much possible money as you could by the sunshine, you know, before winter came and you just kept making money and making money, making money. And at the end, as the owner, you got whatever was left. Right. You get there like you're just hoping there's that big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. And you're like, I'm just going to grab that puppy and run. Like, it's going to be great. I hope I make a hundred grand this year. It's going to be incredible. Right. But the problem is that you're robbing the business blind. And I didn't realize I was doing that for a while until I learned about overhead recovery with, you know, Vander Coy and Jerry Gata and all that. And then I'm like, oh, shit, that's not good. So then finally putting my owner draw into the overhead side, because yep. if I would stop working or die or whatever, the company could not work without me as an employee, quote unquote. So the work had to be done by someone which is a valuable asset to that company so it must be plugged in and then the business makes money in roi after that and i'm like whoa holy crap that's a big deal not the problem is that my numbers went up then i'm like damn it, yeah. i pay myself too much <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's like but that's it but it's such an awakening thing that you know all of that's in one box and when you're billing out your hours and watching everything out you're like yeah, as long as I stick with this, like I said, with 0708, like as long as I stick with this, we're fine. And it it helped, it not helped, it absolutely was what made us go through. And it's the same concept that you've baked into synced up. And I yeah. wanted to do it by hand before. Now you're doing it automated, which is even more incredible. Yeah, because what you, the work you put in there to actually understand how those calculations work, you didn't learn that overnight and Hell no. with, yeah. with the software, with the ability of software, now you can be, you know, now you're at the point where, Hey, just sign up, plug in your data, use the system. I don't really have to understand how the math works, but I know the numbers are right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if you change something or you're like, Hey, you know what? I'd really love to go buy that excavator. I really want to add a second fleet, a third fleet, a fourth fleet, a whole nother group of people. 
Hey, Wes, what happens to my budget if I do that? Yep. All right, do this, this, and this. Okay, here's your billable rate. Go. Yep. Whoa. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's there's no guessing anymore. You're not going to keep your fingers crossed and hope like hell. But obviously, you got to have work coming in the front side, and that's what we can help you over at Yes Express with. Yeah, exactly. But there you uh, go. on the other side, right, then <laughs> the Wes can keep all the beans in the basket and make sure that you got some money in the account at the end of the year. That's the goal part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and people, people um, see, this is the tricky part is that overhead depreciation, exp- that, that depreciation expense on the equipment doesn't, isn't immediately apparent because you're not actually paying an invoice for that $4,000 a year of depreciation that I was describing. It's not until yeah. you need to go replace that machine five, eight, 10 years later that the real cost yeah. suddenly becomes apparent. You're like, man, I don't have the money. How yep. and so you go put it on credit and then it breaks down. Yeah, it's just like it turns into this vicious cycle that gets out of control. And people can be yep. in business like they they might make enough money to buy their first initial machine, and they can be in business for three, five, eight years before they really get to the end of. They're like, you know what? I haven't been charging enough this this whole time. And yeah. and then you yeah. got a hole to dig yourself out of. Big time. You no, know, Weston, I actually call that retool. I see that a lot. Um, small businesses, even myself, when I first start, you barely have enough to get started. You get started, you're in it, you're growing, and then you got to retool. You got to buy new equipment, and you're like, holy shit, I don't have the money um, to buy new equipment. I, I think a lot of business owners get into that. Question I have for you two is is um, I know once you get everybody on boarded, they're now off on their own, and in the event you talk to them after onboarded, are you finding them an issue, them having an issue with um, charging the higher numbers or they have more, are they able to sell the jobs at those? Uh, like I have not run into, I don't, I can't think of a single person I've talked to that's come through synced up that says I, I can't sell the jobs at the numbers that synced up is telling me to sell it at. Now, on that onboarding call, there's plenty of them that have this like, dude, I'll never be able to charge $105 an hour. And, and they you can see the emotional battle taking place, right? But I'll talk to them a month later and they're like, man, this is incredible. Like I just did it and I'm selling the work. And, and this is where I keep yeah. coming back to. If you, if you use, if, if you'd put in the discipline to know your numbers, all these emotional head trash battles kind of fall by the wayside. Yep. And the market really is the, the you know, the market is the, at the end, that's the real judge. It's like, if you can't sell the work at the price, then maybe we need to adopt a different business model with less overhead so we can bring our man hour rate down or whatever it is, you know? Yep. 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 And if you're heavily, you know, invested in overhead, I remember, you know, when I was running my design uh, build company, uh, each year, my, my old tax, I never forget him, Neil. He's like, all right, Josh, end of the year, section 179, you know, uh, accelerated depreciation. You can, you can expense this appeal, whole piece of equipment in year one. So that became a thing. I'm an, I'm a dinosaur, right? So that became a thing, you know, when I was in business and he goes, you, not the portion of it, the whole thing. So if we went out and bought a $50,000 truck, you can take that off. It basically takes that money from the IRS. They don't see it because you, you put this equipment in front of it. I'm like, dude, like how many of these can I buy? He's like as many as you want up to a certain amount. I'm like, okay, cool. So we started upgrading and retooling to Dwayne's point. And the next thing you know, you know, obviously I didn't have the cash for it. So I'd say to the, you know, Bobcat or Ford, like, Hey, finance me. And they'd be like, sure. Right. So yeah. They kept financing and financing. And pretty soon I had five, six, seven loans out with these guys each year adding equipment. And what I found, and it's why I want to say it to the listeners, and especially the, the new businesses starting out, be very careful with that because that accelerated tax, Never, first of all, never buy a piece of equipment just to save tax. Never do that. Only ever buy it if it's going to serve your business to grow and serve your clients at a higher level. Never for a tax break. Don't do that. So I found that after having five, six, seven different loans out with different companies, that I something started happening. I called it the tail started wagging the dog, which meant that I was working, especially in the winter, just to make payments on that equipment that I used in the summertime and my expenses to keep that equipment running as depreciation was collapsing, not collapsing, but, you know, accumulating, if you will, uh, the value of that equipment was going down and down and down and down. You know, I was still paying and paying and paying. And four or five years later, when that equipment was shot, I was still paying full rate for it. And then when it was finally shot, I sold it for pennies and a dollar to go buy more stuff with the same level of stupidity up and down. So be very, very careful. It doesn't hurt to rent things if you don't use them a lot. So you don't have that in your overhead, you bill your client directly for those pieces. And I understand the value 
and driving around in a new pickup with your name on it, there's a pride factor there. But don't let pride supersede common sense. And that's where, you know, knowing your numbers, you'll know where that level is and if it makes sense or not of how much you need to charge. Have you have you ever run into that, uh, Weston, with, you know, with people or in your background? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, as long as... You need that. Okay. So say you tell yourself, Hey, I need to go get that new truck, logo the thing up and just have, have a good image for my company. Sure. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. But just make sure you've got that thing in your, um, in your budget. And if you're, if you're just blindly doing it, like you were describing, that's where you get yourself in that situation where the the equipment's not worth anything. You're still paying full the full loan amount and you're selling it for pennies on the dollar dollar and repeating the cycle. Yep, you know, yep, yep. and and the way yes, to break exactly. that cycle is to put it into your budget. So you're counting the true cost of that depreciation and the cost of that equipment so that your rates yep. are producing the funds to make those payments. And yes. uh, so like you were saying in the winter, when low cash flow, you were struggling to um, make those payments. You should be putting, you should be putting the money. And so if it's in your budget, the way it should be in the summertime, you'll produce the money to make those payments in the wintertime. You should be putting that money aside so that you should not be spending it. It's not your money yet because you haven't mm-hmm. yet covered those bills that are coming up when you have low cash flow. And that's, that's kind of, but, actually- but, but, but Wes, at the end of the year, the money's all mine. Yeah, no, so but- it's like, it's Christmas time. And I want to bring a big check home to the wife and said, look what I killed this year. This is why I wasn't here all year. This is why I haven't seen the kids in how long, look how much money I got. Yeah, and yeah. you're taking everything out of the business, all the blood that runs through the body of that business and you're taking it out. And then you have nothing in the winter. That's right. Trust me. I am guilty as hell that when I first started out. So, but you're right. Once you budget for these things and, you know, I know Dwayne's even taken it a step further with, uh, you know, profit first and, and having buckets for all these things. So that money's not spendable. That stuff is already allocated earmarked for that expense. And at the end of the year, whatever's left in my bucket is what I got. Yeah. And you don't have to think about that anymore. Those things all go there, but this helps you make sure you're billing on the front side for this. And you don't realize that, you know, I didn't know I had to bill for equipment. You know, I thought that was all just part of overhead. Like, no, hell no, you need to bill for that. But so this is going to lead me to another question, Weston. So if I'm a contractor and I have a piece of equipment and how do I keep track of how often I bill? How should I bill this equipment to a job? when I don't know if I only need a skid steer for an hour or two. Like, how do you find people do that and are are most effective? And then I'm going to go into how do I get my labor rates? So let's go from that way. So with the equipment, there's kind of two schools of thought. One is you count your equipment as depreciation, which is then baked right into your markup to cover your Mm -hmm. cost of owning that equipment. That's the one. That's that's the mode that that, that I call kiss. Keep it simple, stupid, because it's really hard yeah. to mess it up. Um, then there's the other there's the other method where you charge for it by the hour, or by the day, in every job where you use it. Each of those two methods have pros and cons. I typically will set, especially newer business owners, up with the kiss method, where it's it's we just mm-hmm. put all that equipment as an overhead expense, and then it gets recovered. The cost of that equipment is covered in in literally your man hour rate. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and the reason I like to do it that way is because I've seen this happen over and over again where, okay, so there's a couple of things you could forget to put the equipment in or you, you build, do the bid and you know that the customer just isn't quite going to go for that price. And so you're like tweaking your numbers and like, ah, it's not going to take me five days with that machine. Ah, I can do it for two. And you, and mm. it's a pretty equipment's an expensive thing. And so you can very sure quickly is. have a very real impact on the final price of that job by tweaking those numbers. And so it's, I've seen it happen. It's the first place salespeople go when they try to sell the job and they're trying to get that number down is they, they shortchange themselves on the equipment. And mm-hmm. that's exactly why I like to put it in overhead because then you don't have the option of shortchanging yourself. It's baked right into your markup and you can't mess with it. Um, Got it. And on the flip side, what happens when you do that is your man hour rate goes up, your markups go up because all that expense is in your overhead recovery markups. And so the the other the, so the the con of charging for your equipment by the hour or by the day is okay so you got to come up with that hourly rate you figure out the depreciation the maintenance the the fuel the operator you come up with that hourly rate for that piece of equipment and you're like okay so i got the total of like what this equipment's going to cost me for the, for this year and now you got to take a guess at how many hours you're going to bill out on that machine or how many days you're going to bill out mm-hmm. on that machine so let's say i'm going to build uh, i'm going to bill out 250 hours on that machine this year okay great so you do that and then you go through the whole year not really paying attention and you get to the end of the year and you realize you only built out 120 hours mm-hmm. and suddenly you're not, you did not even close recover the cost of owning that piece of equipment on yeah. the, as, on the the pro of doing it that way is it doesn't jack your labor rate up or your markups mm-hmm. up. It keeps those markups relatively low and equipment is a separate line item on each, on each bid. Right. Um, right. 
But yeah, they both have pros and cons. It's just that if you recover your equipment as overhead, it's really hard to mess up and, and get to the end of the year and not have generated the dollars you need to pay for that equipment. And the other thing I like about it is that equipment is costing you money to own it, whether you're running it or not. So if you're out there mm-hmm. planting a posy with a shovel by hand and your nice new $80,000 uh, excavator sitting at your parking lot at the shop because you're doing a simple little planting job for Mrs. Jones, you're still you still have to pay to own that piece mm-hmm. of equipment. And so if it's in your overhead, it's in your hourly rate. So whether I'm planting a bush with a shovel or whether I'm actually running that machine, I'm recovering the dollars I need to own that machine. Makes perfect sense. Now, if you keep the equipment separate, I think that this would be a better value because I know when I was in business, there were some times we were just doing maintenance. Somebody would hire us to do a remulching job and, you know, or plant a couple of bushes, do a quick tear out, something I can do by hand. And what I didn't want to be doing is charging them in an overhead structure for all this equipment. So maybe it's 20 or 30 bucks an hour more because of all the equipment would be in a design build package versus in a maintenance package because I didn't need to be as overhead heavy in maintenance. So how do you guys manage that piece? Like if I'm only maintenance going to design build so that i have two different do i have two different billable rates for 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 labor so you can get really into into the game of splitting hairs here um but Mm -hmm. uh what in that case like let's say you're doing mostly mostly maintenance and you're kind of breaking into the design build market and you're uh well first of all i would go back to the first one thing you said is don't buy the equipment until your cost of renting the equipment is more than the cost of owning the equipment um, you know, that's the first thing I would say, but let's say you've already transitioned over and you've got the equipment. Um, yeah, you, w- what you could do is you could build two separate budgets. You could build a budget for your maintenance and build side where you just have your mowers and wheelbarrows and job trailers in there and your trucks as your overhead. Then you can build a budget for your design, b- design build side and, um, have all that equipment over there. Just keep, just keep, just keep in mind, you, you can't clone yourself. If you build two different budgets, you have to come up with like, I have this many production days a year for maintenance and this many production days a year for, um, for, uh, design and build. And let's say you have a total of 200 days a year. If you have 40 allocated for maintenance and the rest allocated for design and build, um, you can't, you can't split your overhead up on 200 days on both of those budgets because you can't, you're not cloning mm-hmm. yourself. You can't go do both things at the same time. So right. th- this is where I say it gets into splitting hairs. And if you can, you can do these things that you're asking about, but um, it, it, it just makes sure that you are clear on what it is that you're doing. And that's actually yeah. one of the benefits about signing up with synced up is we, in our, in our onboarding session, we have these discussions with you one-on-one going through all these nuances and determining what is the best, most safe route for your company. Got it. It's not like we just let yeah. you like, Hey, here's the tools, figure it out. No. Cause yep, yep. most times people have umpteen questions, like the ones we're talking about here. And we want to yep. actually help you dial those in. So you feel rock solid, confident about it. But yeah, anyway, right. yeah, you can create two different um, budgets, one for maintenance, one for design build. Just make sure that you're not double dipping on your ability to produce. And I don't know if, I, if what I'm trying to say is coming out, but basically if you have two different budgets, then you got to share your production days for the whole year between those two budgets, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. hundred percent. Now, to my second part of my question, especially new contractors out there, how the hell do we figure out production rates? Like what, what, is there any suggestions you have or that you've seen others use or yep. how do you typically help people find the production rates of a patio, a, a whatever the hell you're building? Like, how do you do it? Yep. Uh, so I don't, you can put links in podcasts, right? Uh, we can, yeah. I'll give you a link to a production rate calculator spreadsheet that I've developed with a help, like a guided tutorial on exactly how to do it. But I'll, I'll, so awesome. I'll give you that link after the call here and people can use it. Um, Got it. But uh, basically people sometimes like we don't give you production rates and templates when you sign up with Synced Up. And I often get some uh, pushback from that. People are like, oh man, it'd be awesome. You just give me like all your, you know, you've been in the industry for so long. Just give me your templates and production rates. I'm like, I'm telling you, it's not going to work because if you know even even my own production rates will evolve and change over time as we get more efficient mm-hmm. more experienced upgrade our equipment we should be like you should look at your own production rates at least once a year and make sure that they they're, they're mm-hmm. up, updated to your to your current production ability so if i got to constantly be checking myself on my own production rates how on earth are my production rates going to be accurate for you they're not so yeah. what i would rather do is teach you how to fish instead of giving you a fish. And that's why I've developed this spreadsheet where you just plug in um, your data 
of like, hey, I've built six patios in the last couple months. This many square feet was this one. This many square feet was that one. This many square feet was this one. You plug all that in in the column in the spreadsheet. And then you say this one took this but job took me this many man hours. This job took me this many man hours. This job took me this many man hours. And then it spits out like, hey, you can produce 3.4 square feet of installed patio per one man hour. Right. Or whatever. I love that. Whatever it is. Yep. Call yep. it spreading mulch. Call it installing a patio. Call it planting bushes. Whatever. You, you can use the, the formula is the same for everything. But, you mm-hmm. know, that way... Um, and, and the only way to get that data is to job costs. You have to know, well, knowing how many square feet the patio is, is easy, but by job costing, I mean, you have to be knowing how you have to be tracking your hours. So you know how many hours it actually took you, not estimated, not your estimated hours that you put on the proposal, but how many hours it actually took you to do that patio. And that's, that's, that's where synced up enables you to dial that in, in a way that no other product does right now, um, where you have that data live in front of you before you're even pulling off the job site you know exactly how many hours it took you to do that patio you can plug that into your yeah. production rate calculator and you can have a, a zero dialed in production rate that's dead on accurate for your company and you're not using someone else's template that you're like eh, is this is this gonna be right for me it was right for him and you know that's a yeah. that's a that's a false belief if you think you can use someone else's template and run with it building yep. a proposal for your own company. It's just, you can't do that. No, it's so true. And you know, I remember my brother and I getting in locked heated discussions because I'd be the one bidding and designing and he'd be the one building. And he'd be like, how the fuck am I supposed to build this patio in 75 hours or whatever the number was, fill in the blank. <laughs> and I'm like, well, dude, last time you did it this way, he's like, yeah, but you didn't take into account this. You didn't take into account that. You didn't take, you know what I mean? So we would go back and forth and, and lock horns often on that. And he's like, he'd roll his eyes. He's like, why do you even put production rates at him? We weren't calculating. That was before we understood this Mm -hmm. you know we're just trying we're just dabbling in this idea and then eventually i said okay well if that's the case why don't you help me with it and i brought the team in from the outside to help me with that and say let's let's start building production hour sheets like you're talking about that's why i think it's such a great asset where all right if i think it's 75 how much did it actually take and we didn't have something like synced up what actually compared it at the end yeah right that's what i love about it as well as you actually look back there's after your project's done you said do we actually make any money did the production hours that we said we're going to use did we use them all did we use more was the material more or less or right on or all of that's you know it, it shows you very clearly in the software so it's like man i wish i had something like that because man there was so many times we bucked heads and eventually like i said we worked together to figure it out but uh but having that tool that's great yeah we'll get that in the notes send it over we'll send so anybody yeah, listening can grab for sure. it and you know the law of average yeah. the, the more jobs like i said if you have six jobs you've done recently the more jobs you have the, the more accurate your production rate will be uh meaning yeah. like if you're just comparing one or two if you're just feeding your production rate calculator with one or two jobs or three you know that's there's there's the accuracy factor is not that great once you have a dozen jobs a 20 jobs 30 jobs 50 jobs into that thing the accuracy factor is like dead on you know yeah yeah, yeah. it's averages law of yeah. averages at that yeah. point yeah i love that yeah especially from the beginning at the spring you know in the spring like you, your crews are normally working slower they're not as um as gifted as they become it by the end of the season we used to see that a lot when we had crews the new guys uh, or just you just had a new team sort of in the spring and they didn't do as well they weren't as fast they didn't understand the processes and by the time you got to mid-season they were knocking out a patio in one day yeah you know? yeah yep, yep, makes yep. a big difference well then you also got heat and water and rain all that kind of stuff to deal with too and if you're doing law of averages then you just know that it's always about x like we're just gonna use your number three 3.4, you know, man hours per square foot or whatever it might be, or square foot per man hour, but that's an average. So yeah. when you're bidding, you're not thinking about, is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? Is it up a hill? Is it down a hill? Like yeah. all of these things are just kind of baked into that number. And sometimes you win really well. And sometimes you take a little of a hit, but when you see that there's different things like grade changes or bad access or something like that, that's going to stretch the job out much further, a simple 500 square foot patio that has easy access to a road 15 feet away is going to be very different than having one that's a hundred yards behind the house. And you got to go through the yard all the way through. So these are things you start looking for and you start adding in for, you know, preparation, site preparation, getting in and out and, and all of that. So you can add time for those things exactly. but without those numbers, you know, without those numbers, you don't have anywhere to start. And it's so damn important. Yeah. And and you could even get to where you're creating a production rate for easy access job versus difficulty access jobs. Or you could just have your production rate for the installation of the patio itself. And you have a multiplication factor of like, hey, difficult access, another 15% on hours or whatever. Like yep. Yep. You, yep. You, you can kind of choose how you want to tackle that. But um, mm-hmm. I see a lot of guys like create a template and production rates for easy access patios, difficult access patios, patios where I can't even get an excavator in there, whatever. Like, and And that helps you get more dialed in 
because if you if you try to have the exact same production rate for everything without taking into account those things you're talking about you could you could use a production rate that is following your law of averages over the last 50 jobs get into a job with really difficult access and really kind of blow past your man hours estimate 100 percent. yep for sure well dude i could go on for days talking about this fascinating (laughs) subject uh for sure do you have anything else you want to drop on our, our listeners here before we wrap up um, not really. Um, I, this has been a great conversation. Like I, I love these kinds of conversations and I, I, I get more passionate about it by the day just cause I see how much of a real impact that it has on people's lives. Like this is not just so we can geek out and nerd out over spreadsheets or software. It's like, cause this has this, this stuff, when it becomes real for people, it, it has a direct and genuine impact on their life. And I, I get yes. to have a front row seat to that, which is awesome. But, um, you know, I, I think I would just, if I want, if I dropped anything here at the end, I would just say, just remember, it's not, it's not only you that's suffering if you don't know your numbers. It's also your family and your team. And, and, and if you, because most of us are like, well, I'll deal with the consequences, but uh, so that my family can be doing well or whatever. And when you start suddenly realize that it's not just you that, that could potentially suffer from not knowing your numbers, it's your family, your team. It's like, man, it's not being selfish for me to do this. Like I have to do this. And it becomes this thing where it's not, it's not, it's not what it costs you to go buy the tools or invest the time into getting this dialed in. It's what it's costing you to not do this and continue, like yeah. you said, driving with a blindfold on. Um, yeah. And so, and when you, if you do sign up with Synced Up, we will make sure that all of your expenses, including your own salary, your, your equipment depreciation, um, the cost of the software itself is baked right into mm-hmm. those numbers. So at the end of the day, it's not you, it's not coming out of your income. It's coming out of, essentially the price to the customer for the job. The customer ends up is the one that ends up paying for it. And that's an important piece because, you know, guys and girls out there, you know, the more you charge for projects, the better service, the better experience, the better equipment, the better everything you can, um, you can provide your clients. That's the, the number one thing. And if you really want to be the best in your industry and, and do amazing stuff, you need to be open to charging clients what you're worth and what it costs you to give them that experience Yeah, and not be thinking about chasing the, the, your competition's numbers. If they're $22 a square foot for pavers, let's say you got to be 22 or 21. That's bullshit. Your client doesn't care about that as much as you think they do. Mm-hmm. What they want is an excellent experience. They want to have a very um, smooth ride along the way. They want to have great choices. They want to be led and guided. That's what they want. They don't want just the price. And if that is, okay, so there is a fringe group out there that it's all about just the number, that it's all about the cheapest number wins. Let them go. Yes. They're not your clients. The customer just let will, them go. Like, yeah, there comes this dynamic where you're more into the Yes Express side of things where are they your client or yeah. are they not? And, yeah. and, and, and weeding out your leads to make sure you got quality leads you're spending your time on. Like that gets yep. into the, yep. that's another whole can of worms to open. But yeah, it's it absolutely sure. plays into that. For sure. For sure. So Wes, it's been a true pleasure again. I'm sure we'll have you back. I love talking about numbers. I want to open up the entire, um, you know, the world to, to what you're doing. Cause I think it's amazing. And, uh, guys, you know, that our goal is to impact and empower, you know, 2 million people in the next four and a half years. Now time's ticking by pretty quick. <laughs> you know, we have thousands, thousands weekly listening to the podcasts and it's such a great thing to see the, the, the camaraderie that's happening and the messages that we get and just spreading knowledge. That's what we love to do. So that, that wouldn't be possible without you guys spreading this. So if you enjoyed this conversation with Wes about numbers and you think, you know, somebody who could benefit from even just hearing this even if they never buy anything from west just hearing this and talking about that depreciation and teaching them that little hidden tax right that's built in that people don't think about uh it's super important so share this with them i certainly appreciate uh your time wes and everyone listening and guys if you want to stop getting in your car with a blindfold and putting in a drive and hoping like hell you're going to make some money at the end of the year reach out to west and he'll take that blindfold off and you'll be driving sitting back with the window open and the breeze in your hair baby so (laughs) love that picture (laughs) (laughs) all right guys till next week keep going hey thanks